0: Hi, guys. My name is Pastor Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Heart of Life, and we are grateful to be able to celebrate together today. To the ladies, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we truly pray that you have a great day today. Uh, I, and obviously, our circumstances are still a little strange, so some of you are going to have to make the extra effort to, to make connection with your moms today. I want to challenge you to, to do that, whatever it takes. And then there are others who today would say, I, I wish I could still make contact with my mom. Some, their moms have already passed. It's, it's, a, it's a strange day for how much joy And yet sometimes how much pain is connected to this day. And yet what we know is that in both circumstances, there are moms who are great, who they deserve to be celebrated. And that's a part of what this day is all about. Um, I found a couple of quotes that I think to sort of help to sum up maybe what, what being a mom is a little bit about. It says, I love when my kids tell me they're bored as if the lady standing in front of a full sink of dirty dishes is where you go to get good ideas about how to have a good time. I like that. But you know what, a part of what makes a mom's love so powerful is the fact that moms will often tackle the messy things in our life that nobody else is willing to tackle. And I'm talking about something far beyond the dishes. Check this one out. I like it even better. Being a mom means kids banging on the bathroom door like SWAT, asking for a drink while you're in the shower and dad is in the kitchen. Uh, What makes that so funny is that actually happens. It happens. Here's one more. It's like no one in my family. This is mom quote now. It's like no one in my family appreciates that I stayed up all night overthinking for them. That's a part of what moms do. Here's what we know. Moms are more than biological. It's true. There are many of you who have ladies in your life who have, who have impacted you to a degree. They are like your mom, even though they didn't give birth to you. I think that's a part of the blessing of being a part of the church. We have a lot of great moms, but listen, no mom can be God. That's not being disrespectful. That is probably the greatest thing that I could say to the moms today. No mom could be God. And what that means is you are not intended to carry the weight of the whole world for your children, for your family. That's not what you're intended to do. It's part of why sometimes you stay up all night overthinking for all of us. But the greatest thing that you can do is to love your children toward Jesus. And often... It's the way you love that gives us the clearest picture of what his love looks like. So I just want to encourage you a little bit. What do your kids really need? Real quick before I pray for you, what do your children really need most? A mom who loves Jesus more than a mom who gets everything right. I know you want to get it right. But if you will live like you are fully loved by him, you will impact how your children live the same. Second, a mom who humbles herself under God's loving plan, even when it's not her own. Moms, when you trust God's plan, even when it's not the plan you designed, when you live that way, you impact how your children trust God's plan. One more. A mom who trusts that God is bigger than our baggage, failures, and our circumstances. Moms, when you live like god wins in all circumstances you will impact how your children tend to live the same we're grateful for you for all that you do i want to ask god's blessing on your life let's pray god today my heart first goes god toward those who may struggle on a day like today God, some who have lost moms, some who would question and even say, maybe even worse, mine was there, but I wish she wouldn't have been. God, there's pain, but I'm thanking you that you, you are the place that we come when we have pain. God, the best place we can run is to you, and so for all those who hurt today, I'm asking that you give us wisdom that we would run to you, and that today there might be peace. God, even joy that you place in the hearts of those who ask for it today. But God, today we are also grateful for the great moms around us, some great moms and heart of life, God, ladies who impact children, families, our church. God, today I'm asking your greatest blessing upon their life. God, I'm asking you give them wisdom to be able to hear your voice. God, help them to know how loved they truly are by you. God, that as they live out that love, God, their kids will be impacted by it. God, give them them the ability to hear your voice and to see your plan, God, that they will trust you in all those circumstances and to even know that you are bigger than any of our failures. God, any of our baggage, any of our circumstances, you are bigger. God, may those truths be real in their life today. God, we thank you for moms who bless our life, and today we ask that you would bless them. Thank you for being our God. Thank you that we get to praise you today. Thank you for every household, everybody who gets to be a part of this, God. Give us ears that can hear, eyes that can see you today. We love you, we praise you, in the name of Jesus, amen. When children are young they often believe that god made adults and especially moms it seems like we're talking about today to work for them and i know some of you laugh and you say well what do you mean young children right because i have children who are older who still think that god apparently made right adults to work for them but hopefully as children grow older There is a greater understanding of what that relationship should look like. Well, likewise, in the relationship between you and God, the question that I'm posing today is who serves who? Who works for who? Today, we want to explore the answer to that, and I'm telling you, it may not be exactly what you expect. Well, if you've been walking with us on the same page, we've been been reading the entire story of God in 2020. For the last 18 days, we have been in Isaiah because Isaiah has a lot of chapters. It's a, it's a big book, but we've come to the end of that book, and I want to read to you a part of some of those, those ending uh, instruction that Isaiah gives to us. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. They're saying, God, you have demonstrated your power. When you show up, it is obvious. The mountains shake, we know it. And verse four is really where I want to land today. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen. Any God besides you who acts, and I'm inserting the word works. It's, it's the same, same meaning. Any God besides you who works on behalf of those who wait for him. Now my question, who works for who? My question is when you read this text, who is doing the working? It is God who works on our behalf. Now, I think it is common for church people to use the language that we serve God, right? We, we work for God. And the reason I think we use that language is because we get it from the Bible. There are places where, like the Apostle Paul, will repetitively refer to himself as a servant of God. And he refers to those who, who are in ministry with him as they are servants of God. But what does that mean? Well, it means that we fully lean into Jesus being our king. It it, it means that he, by his work on the cross, he has purchased us back where once we belonged to an enemy, now we belong to him. From love, we fully submit to him. He calls the shots in our life. In fact, the Bible even tells us, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but it goes on to say that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. And so the conclusion of all of that is we say we work for God. But I want you to see today that the Bible is really, really clear. Being servants of God does not mean that God needs us to work on his behalf. Let me show you another place. We just read Isaiah 64 from the Old Testament. I want you to look at this from Acts chapter 17. It says, and he, and it's referring to God here, he... "...is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else." I don't remember the exact place that it happened, but I remember the first time that I really had eyes to see that verse in Acts chapter 17. I I was stunned. Because what it says is we don't really serve God's needs. Why? Because God doesn't have any needs. He needs nothing. But he serves us. Even Breath that he gives us. So think about it. I mean, if there were any other person's work that you knew, any other person's work that could meet all of your needs, then that's what we would have shown up here today to celebrate, right? And I would be preaching in the greatness of people. But what we know is that's not true. Because come on, what have we really done? What What did we do? Did we work to be created? No. Did we work to have sight or hearing or taste? Did we work to have that? The answer is no. And yet, come on, something like your sight, you you wouldn't even give a million dollars for that. Did we work to breathe? No. not from the oxygen side or the lungs side. We didn't work to make that happen. We didn't work to make water to drink. We didn't work to, that the sun would be at the right distance from the earth. We, we didn't work to make the sun rise this morning. And truthfully, even beyond this life, when, when we die, will it be our work that forgives our sins or makes us right with God? Will it be our work that it gives us a home in heaven and a new body. And the answer to all of that is no. Everything we need most, we did not work for. But God's work provides all of that for us. So I want it to start to settle in a little bit. We don't work for God. God really works for us. I want you to see this verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It says, for the eyes of the Lord reign throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I love the language of that verse because you know what that tells me? It says, how cool is it that God... Working for us is not something that, that he begrudgingly does. It, it says here that, that he, is, he is looking and he is, he is searching. His desire, he, he desires to do that for us. Let me give you one more, Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15, he says, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Here's the intended pattern for my life and for your life. In need, I call upon God. What does he do? He shows up and he works on our behalf in power. And then the psalmist says, what do we do for the rest of our lives? We declare the greatness of God with every breath that he gives us from that moment on. Now, here's what I'm telling you. That is different than any other God or any other religious system. That's what Isaiah 64 was pointing out to us. No no eye has seen this. No ear has ever heard this. This is unique when it comes to God that he would work on our behalf. If you back up some chapters in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 46, It helps us understand a little more about this difference in how God works versus how all other gods claim to work. Now, we're about to read some verses that mention the names Bel and Nebo. Bel and Nebo. Sounds like the beginning of a good Disney movie or something like that. But actually, Bel and Nebo are false gods. They would be the Zeus and the Mercury of the Babylonians, all right, that's who we're referring to here. So, Isaiah chapter 46, check out verse one and look at this language. "Bell bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are born by beast of burden. Now, what's a beast of burden? It could be an ox, it could be a mule, right? It's, it's an animal that carries. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. Let's keep going. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They transfer themselves, that they themselves go off into captivity. Verse 3, listen to me. You descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom, now the language changes, God says, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Verse four, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I've made you, I'll carry you, I'll sustain you and I will rescue you. Here's what he says, you other gods, you make people carry you around. That's what he's saying. It's these idols made of wood or stone, he says, "Even when the people are carried off into captivity, guess what? You're carried off into captivity with them. They put you on an ox or a mule or a cart, and they just they have to carry you around. You are burdensome. All other gods of this world have a message. Work enough for me and you'll make it. Work enough for me and it'll be worth it. But the living God says, nobody has to carry me anywhere. Actually, I am the God who carries you. I've done it since you took your first breath as a little baby. And I'm going to do it until you got gray hair, right? Some of us wish we had gray hairs in other places. we got got some in some places. He said, I'll carry you. From the beginning to the end, I'm going to carry you. I work on your behalf. And my message is not work enough for me and you will make it. But God's message is I will do enough for you. I will work so that you will make it. The message in Isaiah 46 is, "You carry all the other gods around, but the living God carries you." Isn't that cool? In the New Testament, we're told about a day that a couple of Jesus' followers, James and John, are having a discussion about the best seats in heaven. They want the best seats in heaven. Right? They probably checked out, you know, Stubhub. They 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 checked out and, and they're asking Jesus, Hey Jesus, we're interested in the best seats in heaven. And they're referring to places of power, places of Well, when all the other disciples hear about their conversation, guess what happens? They're angry. Why are they angry? Well, those disciples want the best seats in the house too. And so suddenly there there is this, this argument that begins to take place and Jesus talks to them. And this is how it is recorded in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even... The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, come on guys, we all know what greatness in this world is often defined by. He said, greatness in this world means that you have many people that, that that you have power over. You are in a place of authority, and you, you can tell these people to do this that you want done. You, you, you can tell these people to meet your needs. You, you can say, You work for me. But Jesus looks at his followers that day and he said, But not you. That's not how you operate. And he said, because that's not how I operate. He said, I didn't come to gather a workforce to do what I say. That's not my greatness. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. How remarkable is it that the God who carries us is the God who demonstrates his greatness by getting in the dust in order to treat us better than we ever deserved. At the cross, when Jesus gave his life for us, that was the ultimate picture of God working on our behalf. At the cross, what Jesus did for you and for me, that is Psalm 64 written in blood that this power, this love, this is a God that is like no other. Every other God says, you work for me. Our God says, I'm going to carry you. Have you noticed that every other God you may choose to bring value to, I mean, whether, whether it is your job or notoriety or something you own like a house or a car, I mean, you realize that that only holds any power at, because you prop it up. In order for your career, right, to be valuable to you, you've got to work. You've got you've to prop it up. In, in order to be, you know, to have followers, in order to be known, you, you've got to work that system. And In order to, to own something, you've got to maintain it. You've got to protect it. at the moment that you stop propping it up, it holds really no power. Versus the living God who says, nobody props me up. Nobody carries me anywhere. And from your first breath to all of eternity, I will carry you. Hmm. But who does he carry? Let's go back to Psalm 64 one more time, and there's one last phrase in that verse that I want you to see. Psalm 64, verse 4 since ancient times, no one's heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He, he acts, he works on behalf of those who wait for him. And the question is, what does wait mean? What, what, what exactly does that mean? God works for those who wait for him. So does that mean that God does not work for people who don't wait for him? I want to just quickly show you a couple of verses out of Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, it says, In the past, let all the nations go their own way. That's what God did. He let all the nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God said, do you recognize how I have worked for everyone, even those who haven't even recognized? That's me. The rain, the crops. He said, that was me. So not only do they not recognize him, that certainly would mean in most cases they don't even love him, but God continues to work. That's actually called common grace. Sometimes that's the term that's used. But what, some, but what Isaiah 64 is talking about is, is something beyond. It's something beyond the rain and the crops. This is something more. This is about a helping, a strengthening, an enlightening, a joy-giving, an eternal life kind of work for those who wait on him. And so I'm back to the question, well, what does wait mean? Well, in Isaiah's context and in his day, it usually referred to the fact that the people were in trouble in some way. Maybe it was an enemy. Or it was some sort of need. The people were in trouble, and the question is, how are they going to respond? Where do they go for help? Isaiah chapter 31 gives us an example of that. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Here's what waiting means. I'm gonna describe it this way. Waiting means having the reflex to say, God, Help me. Whatever circumstance I'm in, it it is the reflex to say, God, what should I do? It's the reflex to say, God, I need you. It is to suddenly find myself in a place of need And instead of a week from now, suddenly waking up and realizing, oh my goodness, I have been fighting this thing for a week. And you know what? I didn't even ask God. I I haven't even told God, hey, I need your help. No, it is the reflex that says in every circumstance, God, I need you. I'm convinced that one of the reasons people never experience the supernatural activity of God in their life is that because many people just ignore it from the beginning they they don't ask him they they don't expect it they just go after other solutions and so many of people will will approach their problem solving with the view of look I'm gonna do everything that I can to make this circumstance work and in the meantime I'm just hoping that God's gonna come through with something right it's the backup plan it's those moments of going well the only thing we can do now is hope that God does a miracle. And I'm saying that waiting on God is to actually start there. I'm going to define it this way. Waiting on God is really a life that constantly prays. Waiting on God is a life that constantly prays. I'm not talking about walking around all the time with your eyes closed and your head bowed. That's not, the, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about a life that is constantly in tune, a constantly aware. God, I need you. God, what do you desire? God, will you help me? Now, come on, that's not complex. That is not complex. A kid can do that. It's not complex, but it's also not automatic. And you and I both know it. Why is it not? Because there's an enemy that's real. And that enemy lies to us. He tries to convince us that we're alone. He tries to convince us there's no hope. He distracts us with, with, other, with other solutions. The, an enemy's real, and even without the enemy, come on, I, my, my flesh is what it is. I have a tendency towards selfishness. Plus, I live in a world that, that's constantly trying to, to press me to, to conform to its image. I'm saying because of all that, it is wise for me to look Look to create habits that lead me to lean into God first and continue to do that. It's a life that constantly prays. It's part of the reason that I think being on the same page is so critical for us this year. Some people look at the same page as it's a Bible reading plan. It's just a Bible reading plan. It's just a, it's just a plan where it gives you so many chapters every day and, and, and you can read the Bible and you're able to say at the end of the year, woo we read the whole Bible. That's not what the same page is about. When we use... The title, Same Page. It's more than just being on the same page of Scripture. It's about being on the same page as the heart of God. Where every day when you are opening his word and you are reading what he has to say, it is creating that habit in your life that makes you lean into him. So if you're reading his word today and as circumstances occur today, your first reaction is not to solve that by some other means. Your first reaction is to go to him. That's why the same page matters. Over the last 40 days on the website, which I, I encourage you to check it out, the resources that are there, we, we, there's been something available called the Love Dare. It's called the Love Dare. It's a, it's a daily challenge of how to love your spouse. And it's been funny to hear, right? Some of you have spent more time with your spouse over the last 40 days than, than you have in years put together, right? And, and, and it's like, how, how do you really love this person? Well, every day, the purpose of the love there is to give you a text of here. Has, here's how God says you do it. Here's a challenge of how to put that into practice. In other words, you are establishing habits that lean your heart toward God. God, when it comes to my family, when it comes to my marriage, I wanna know what do you need? God, what do you, what do you say? God, I need you God will you give me direction starting tomorrow so I encourage you to check it out starting tomorrow because the love dare has come to an end there's going to be something available called 40-day fit challenge 40-day fit challenge we're going 40 days again but this time this time the focus is connected to being fit Physically and mentally fit. Now, come on, if we've learned something in this whole COVID thing, it's like our health matters, right? how healthy we are, what we do. It it really does matter and how we fight those things. And so for the next 40 days, there are some folks within Heart of Life who have gone to work and they've accumulated the the, the, uh, scripture and the the, the devotions and even the exercises that are connected to this thing. Uh, There'll be some videos to show you how to do those. You can adapt them to where it works best for you. But for the next 40 days, you'll be able to every day go, here's what God's word has to say. He cares about my health. This is not something separate from my spiritual life. No, I want to lean into God first in everything that I do. He's not the backup plan. Choose habits that lead you to consistently lean into God because waiting on God is really a life that constantly praise that's where you should start with everything Now, when you say okay God I need you right there's a couple of responses that God could come back with one of those responses could be okay wait and you're like what do you mean wait that's what I just did right I waited to ask you now God what do you mean wait but sometimes God says wait and then sometimes God says go God, what do you want me to do? And he says, here's what I want you to do. Either way, either response from God, you still want a life that constantly prays. Let me show you just a couple of examples from that, and we're going to wrap it up. Back in Isaiah chapter 30, one of those examples where God says, I want you to wait. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, it reads like this. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and, what's the next word? Rest. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Check out these words. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You got the picture? God's going, I told you to wait. I told you to wait but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. Verse 17, a thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of of five, you will will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. In other words, you you are left standing alone. Verse, Verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who Wait for him. If you choose not to wait when God says wait, and you choose to pursue some other solution to fix your problem, he reminds us, whatever those are, those horses will never be fast enough. To outrun your problem, don't let the pressure of feeling the need to respond now convince you that waiting on God is not the best option when God tells you, wait. He does that often in Scripture. It's not just one moment. Uh, Exodus chapter 14, check this out. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will ne- you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. He says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Some of you might find yourself in situations right now Maybe it's a child. It's a family issue. And you have done everything that you know to do. I want you to know that it's not too late to say, God, what do you want me to do? And you might find that what he's been saying for a while is I want you to just wait. I've got this for you. I'm working for you. And when God says, wait, do you realize you still want to say, my life is a constant prayer. Not just, not just at the beginning of my problem where, God, I need your help, but then when God says wait, you want to continue to say, God, I need your help. God, I'm waiting. God, I'm watching. I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything here. God, I don't, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to miss this. So my heart continues to lean in. I'm waiting before God says wait, and then even after God says wait, I continue to lean into him. But then sometimes God says go. Sometimes God says go, but when God says go, do this work, we still have to realize it is God who's doing the work. In Proverbs chapter 21, I love this proverb, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. He's like, I know, you make your preparations, you, you train your horses, you, you have your plans, but don't be mistaken. Who works for who? I am working on your behalf. I really like the way the Apostle Paul says it in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 15, this is how he says it. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, no. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I love that. Paul's like, I'm not lazy. He's like, I'm not lazy. There were times that God told Paul, wait. There were times that God made him stand still and wait. But there are other moments that that God says, go to work. And Paul's like, you know what? I worked harder than anybody else. But Paul had this ability not to lose sight of one transforming truth. It was not so much that Paul was doing the work for God. It was the fact that God was doing the work through Paul. Paul. This week um, was an interesting week, especially if you go back to um, Monday of this week, because there was a storm that rolled through this campus where I'm speaking from today. And when I say storm, it at least had to be some straight-line winds. I mean, I, I was actually here when it happened. You could just hear the, the the popping and the breaking, and you're like, "What in the world's going on?" You couldn't see ten feet beyond uh, the windows, so you had no idea what was going on. But when everything settled, let's just say there was plenty of lumber on the ground. Some buildings had been even pushed, pushed over, not, not our buildings, but buildings that were nearby. We had, you know, pieces of sheet metal all over, all over the grounds. There, was, there were limbs, trees, big parts of trees that were, that were broken. And so this week, this tool became quite handy. What? I feel like I hear some of you saying, seriously, Jeff, a chainsaw on Mother's Day? I can hear you. And my response would be, what? Are you saying that the ladies can't cut? Yeah, I didn't think so, all right? So, so as I was saying, th- this became a, a critical tool this week. And, and here's, here's the part that I want you to see. One of the keys to operating a saw effectively is you have to let the saw do the work you have to learn to let the saw do the work i understand that you're you're holding the saw i understand that you you you're cutting wood but you got to let the saw do the work now, when I like doing this, I'm being honest with you, and the reason I like doing it is because I don't have to do it. Uh, I've told you this before. We, we like, you know, in the wintertime to have fires in the fireplace, and so I, I, it's actually a, something different for me. I, I, I learned early on there's a way to let the saw do the work, and, and a part of that is connected to these, these teeth that are right here. They're little spikes, um, they're called sometimes they call them bumper spikes sometimes people call them dog teeth there's all kind of different different terms for them but they rest on the wood and as those rest on the wood they're they're one of the of the pieces of the saw that helps you to let, just let it be able to to let that saw actually do the work but but here's what's amazing you would think once you knew that 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 would just be an automatic but here's what I've discovered when I'm actually cutting wood all of a sudden i realize wait a minute I'm not letting the saw do the work. And when you don't let the saw do the work, you suddenly, you can feel it. You can feel it in your arms, you can feel it in your body. Suddenly, you have this feeling like I'm extremely tired because I am working at this when I actually should let the saw do the work. And the more I thought about it last, this last week, it's like, you know what? Uh, I think that might be exactly how a lot of people feel in life. The design of the saw is to let it do the work. But when I try to do the work, I'm exhausted. And I'm saying what we've read today is that the design is that God works for you. But when you start to get that backwards, it becomes exhausting. So by the way, whether this is the goofiest thing I've ever done in my life to use a chainsaw on Mother's Day, I think it's the best Mother's Day illustration I've ever had in about 20 years. But even if it's a really bad idea that this doesn't connect so much to moms, maybe it connects more to dads. And maybe that's why I would use it on a day like today because I know that one of the greatest gifts that moms could be given is that dads would learn to wait on God. For dads to learn that even when God says, go do this work, It's still important to let God do the work. That's what Paul said. It was God's grace that was at work in my life. Because gentlemen, sometimes we have a way of of leading our families by just, we make plans and then we rally the troops to make those plans come to be. We respond to problems sometimes by tearing off into possible solutions before we actually ask God, God, what do you want first? How can you bless your family Will you realize this truth and you live this truth that waiting on God is really a life that constantly prays. In all circumstances, I'm waiting on God. Before I do anything, I'm saying, God, what do you want? I'm waiting on him. When God's response is, okay, I want you to wait, then I continue to wait. And I'm saying, God, I'm depending on you. God, you told me to wait. I'm waiting. God, but give me ears to hear. Help me to know what your direction is. But God, I, I want my life to continue to pray. And then when God says go, when God says this is the work, this is the direction, my life is, continues to be a life that prays. I keep on praying waiting sometimes God says I want you to stand back and watch I'm gonna part these waters and you're gonna walk across on dry ground just wait and watch other times God says I want you to go get those stones and that slingshot and I want you to charge that giant In both cases, God says, but it will be me, God, who is working for you. God says, I'm looking. I'm looking to work in your life. In your need, call on me. I'll show up. And when I show up, I show up in power. It'll be the kind of work that I do that for the rest of your life, with the breath that I give you, you will declare my greatness. God, you would think... (laughs) that when we see it, when we can hear it, God, a truth that you are the one who works for us, God, a call to let you do the work. You would think, God, we would perhaps get that more often than we do. But God, I thank you that you understand we often don't. And God, we need moments like today, we need reminders like today, God, we thank you that we can call ourselves, God, friends, servants. God, we belong to you. We want our lives to be devoted to you. God, in all that we do, we want it leveraged for you. But bottom line is we don't really work for you because you have no needs. God, you work on our behalf. Today, I thank you for our cross. It is those words written in blood. We thank you for what you have done for us to give us forgiveness and life eternal. But God, you also work in our lives today. I pray for those who you've told them to wait. God, they're waiting for waters to part. I pray that you'd give them eyes to see, ears to hear. There's nobody like you, God, you carry us. I pray for those that you have given the instruction, God, to pick up the stones and the slingshot and to charge a giant. God, help them to remember in the charge, you are still the God who directs the stone. God, we need you. May you make our life a life of constant prayer. It's in the name of Jesus that we thank you for working for us. Amen.